This is the Angry Birds Bird Minute, sponsored by Angry Birds for their 15th anniversary, where we tell you about a cool bird that may or may not be angry. This week's bird is the gray go-away bird. They're found in thorn savanna and open woodlands of the more tropical regions of southern Africa. Using thorny sticks, these birds build nest platforms, and both parents care for the chicks. The gray go-away bird is, you guessed it, gray with a smoky colored plumage, including especially long tail feathers and a crest on its head. As for the other part of their name, this bird's loud nasal call sounds like it's saying, go away. But are they angry? Their namesake call is most common when the birds are upset, so they just may be using that sound to tell bothersome creatures to go away. On a scale of one to angry, we rate the gray go away bird as understandably annoying. This is Wild Green Streams. I'm Rhett. I'm Danielle. And with us today are Alex Croson and Casey Clapp of the Completely Arbitrary Podcast. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having us on your on your show. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Could you, you just tell us a little bit for uh, listeners who may not have heard your show before about the Completely Arbitrary Podcast and how it works? Oh, sure. We have a weekly show called Completely Arbitrary, where Casey and I get on and talk about a species of tree every week, and then some some topic surrounding it. Casey and I believe that everything can be traced back and related to trees. Mm -hmm. So the whole premise of our show is trees and other related topics, which is everything. We'll pitch a tree and then that's not a tree pun. That's just a word I'm using. Thank you. Be careful, Alex. And then we will talk about some topic around it having to do with culture, history, religion, food. What else, Case? Well, sometimes we just talk about the tree itself or like tree related things explicitly, like how does a tree grow? What is bark? How does a leaf work? What exactly is a root? That kind of stuff. So also, True, yeah. We try to balance the two. Yeah. And then at the very end, we uh, we give it a review and a rating. So we we try to basically have a sometimes very intense conversations like Alex and I will talk about some very intense cultural thing. And then at the end of it, Alex usually says something like, well, now let's boil this down to an arbitrary rating between one and ten. Sigh. And then we go to a break. Before <laughs> we, we realize just how how uh, kind of there's a dissonance there, but it's it's something that helps keep everything light. You know, you're never going to end a podcast being like, whoa. That was heavy because at the end, we're always like, yeah, and also, uh, no matter how important this is to you, we think this tree sucks. So five <laughs> out of 10. And you rate them. You don't rate stars. You use golden cones of honor, right? That is right. Yep. Yeah. Another spectacular thing that came the very first show. I think we sat down, we're reviewing, and I was like, well, we should give this a rating. And we're kind of panicked. We don't really know how to do this. And Alex was like, of golden cones of honor. And then we just went with it and it's been it's been the same ever since now it's literally the entire basis of our show that's where the best ideas come from alex croson <laughs> that's right thank you everyone the man with no plan <laughs> finally someone says it yeah so right now i think what we're on uh i don't know episode 145 maybe yeah wow nice okay. yeah. one a week for three years yeah that's right yeah. and now we uh and we've Built up a, an army of fungal associates. That's our, our listener group. Uh, another first episode, just like conversation side piece that became a, a widely, everyone like immediately said, well, we know who we are now. 
And then um, we make cone stickers and sell them out to everybody uh, in our, our cone club. So we've created this little strange niche of the internet that we didn't quite know existed. And then um, we also did this right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's science podcast, but it's not a science podcast that's like, here's all the facts that you need to know and how how it affects the rest of the world. We're kind of like, hey, here's a stupid idea. You want to talk about trees and like goofy things and then make jokes and play games? So it ended up being like this very, uh, it's, a, it's a nice, lighthearted experience. You don't have to listen to our podcast and be like, oh, go back, I, I, I missed something. It doesn't matter if you missed it. It's, it's, it's all kind of arbitrary to begin with. I uh, see what you did there. Yeah, you see that? Did you get it? So yeah, I don't think, did I miss anything else? No, I was just going to say, yeah, I agree. Well said. Given that you just said that your podcast is not a list of tree facts, do you have any <laughs> good wild green tree facts to share? You know, Alex, what do you have any right off the top of your head? Oh gosh. I will need reminding probably, Case. How about you give one and I'll I'll All right. on it a little bit. I can give one that's kind of kind of funny. It's less of an exact true fact, but more like one time I was talking to somebody and I told him about the podcast and his response was Oh, so it's just kind of like a, a bunch of interesting facts. Very much like <laughs> completely out of touch with everything I just said. And I was so like upset, but all I could respond was yeah, that's a that's about it. Fun I, facts. Fun Casey. facts. Yeah. Yeah. We then put that on one of our episodes as a title, and I think it's one of our best episodes in <laughs> in the sense of like analytics. So apparently that's really what we should have done. Just yeah, a um, big list of facts. The internet Ooh. loves lists. That's a thing that's just I, totally unavoidable about it, I think. We should have steered into that. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if y'all ran into this at any point, but I went to undergrad for ecology and something that I would get almost any time I met someone who was not in like a related field to that is they're like, oh, so you're in ecology, so you want to be a park ranger. And the, like they always assumed that because I think it's the only career that they knew about in that even domain of things. But it was like almost like you had to stop an eye roll kind of mm -hmm. because it was such a such a stereotype that you're trying to get out of. You have to like fiend there's a bird just flew by as you roll your eyes up like, oh, you know, sorry, I, thought yeah. I saw an osprey. <laughs> anyway, no, I, I don't want to be a park ranger. I will say as one of I used to be one of those people, but, you know, in general, I've I've found that a lot of people have an extremely cursory knowledge of natural science and because i work with trees specifically trees it's sort of the blank stare oh okay like when <laughs> i say what my podcast is about i think a lot of people don't even know what you would talk about on an, on a podcast about mm -hmm. trees which is exactly why they need to listen to it yes <laughs> they don't Thank know what they you. don't know danielle yes you're spot on i'm often good too sheepish to to ask them to listen after that i'm like yeah you don't want to hear it <laughs> Sorry. May I interest uh, you in being a fungal associate? That'll rip up. Yeah. Slide in my trust me. Hop on this web. <laughs> sales tactic. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. There's uh, some interesting facts. I have at least one that I I, I did the the math on the other day, but I need to do it again. There are about 74,000 trees in the world, and that includes trees that we have not named yet. So these are like individual species, mm -hmm. not like numbers of stems. And sure. I, I was doing that math and I'll do it real fast because that includes like a, a bit of an estimate. Like, okay, we, we think, we know we've counted this many so far and we think maybe there's this many that we just haven't discovered. So 74,000 is about the number. So if we do, let's say 48 episodes a year, we divide mm -hmm. this by 48, then that means we have 
1,541.67 years left in order to cover every single tree on the entire planet. Oh, you got to get moving. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we can't move time any quicker. That's the problem here. <laughs> So, yeah, so 1,500 years, uh, which coincidentally is the age of, it's maybe a quarter of the age of the oldest tree. So wow. we would theoretically be able to do this. And then by the time we get done, you know, 1,500 years later, there are some trees that would be like, yeah, you, that's it. That's all you guys can do. It's like, I don't know what that's like. That's pretty wild to think about. <laughs> we are too puny to fathom. We are too puny. Yeah, those are like uh, bristlecone pines, but there's also the, uh, there's a tree down in South America called the Fitzroya that is also one of the oldest known species, but it's not as well studied, so we're not mm -hmm. quite sure, but it's brought up and there's always, everyone wants that superlative tree. I mean, Alex sure. knows this. I love a superlative tree. So this is, it's one of those trees where as soon as someone says, I think my tree is the oldest tree, then all the scientists kind of look over at them like the eye of Sauron or like, what? And then try to figure out exactly which tree is the oldest tree. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those silly things that we humans like to do. That documentary, The King of Kong, about the Donkey Kong world record. I've seen that documentary. This is the first time anyone has ever referenced it to me. <laughs> the world's oldest tree is kind of like that, where they're, they're like, oh, we have it over here. Check out this oldest tree. And then they'll do the math and they're like, yep, technically it's older. And then a few years down the line, there will be some contentious debate about it. And it'll and turn out that the first tree faked its age and it was just exactly. a complete scam and rigged the whole thing. It had a tree scientist on its side trying to pretend that the <laughs> records were that way. I mean, totally. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm clearly fun. missing something about this Kong <laughs> documentary. What so, is this? Sounds like so, a drama. That joke was very funny, but <laughs> only if you've seen this niche documentary about people competing to be on the record as the best Donkey Kong player of all time. Every single thing about it is paced out perfectly. It almost looks like a fiction film. It's so well structured. Um, wow. And it's just these people who are absolutely cutthroat about trying to be listed as the best Donkey Kong player of all time. It turns out that one guy who winds up for a while holding the title probably faked it. But because he was so well connected amongst the world of Donkey Kong record holding, yeah. nobody called him on it for years until later. And it was this big controversy. And within this entirely like insular little community that yeah. of, of Donkey <laughs> Kong obsessed people, part of the film's charm is that you get to know that group of people as well. I love making jokes that I have to spend five minutes explaining all of the backstory <laughs> before. Yeah. You, can, you, you are in the right idea. company. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just ask Casey. Great that's that's my style too. Uh, I, in the chat, I've posted a picture of the villain of the piece. This is Billy Mitchell. Oh, my uh, look at gosh. that hair. For the listeners, he he's a man who always wears a black suit, like a suit shirt with black jeans, cowboy boots, and an American flag tie. Uh, well, he also has his own hot sauce brand, if that kind of builds the character for you. <laughs> yeah, he, he walks into the screen, and you know he's the villain just oh, immediately. Yeah. Like, his hair is amazing. too good. Yeah, so yeah. He's too, it too slick. It can't too be smooth. anything but the villain. <laughs> My God, yeah, he looks like he has a, a red lightsaber just tucked away. <laughs> you know that he like unironically loves Hooters, <laughs> like for the food. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of touched on it earlier, but there was the thing about superlatives. Is it's kind of interesting? A lot of the time, they just like we'll understand that they're the most, but I feel like. And we kind of talked about this before you came on, before we started recording too. There's a lot of numbers that are just so big that I don't 
understand them. Like, mm-hmm. like you're saying 1500 years. And I thought about Pando, which is, you know, re-sprouting. So it's not the same kind of age, but it's got yeah. the 80,000 year number. To me, it's almost like, even though one's like almost, you know, 40, 50 times older than, than the other in terms of like a number, those just yeah. sound like the same number to me. Totally. It's mind boggling. Like you can't really get your way around it, which is whenever I talk about like the bristlecone pines or I'm doing a presentation, trying to put it into context. I always try to like go back in time where you can say, all right, so 1500 years ago, this happened. It was the 500s and the Rome was just about, you know, kind of falling apart in Europe. And you go back a little bit further and you can talk about when the pyramids were built and you keep going back until you're beyond the scope of like actual written history. And you can say, that's when this tree sprouted its first mm. little little mm-hmm. seedling. And so that's like, that helps people like figure it out because they can conceive of like, okay, how, okay, Rome, that was a really long time ago. Okay, uh, Persia, that was a long time ago. And they can keep, you can keep like taking right. these backward right. steps. But as soon as you get to 20,000 years, you're totally right. It's like, I, that becomes beyond myth at that point where you're like, I can't even imagine what the ground looked like at that point. Like, it's unfathomable. There are animals running around that nobody has seen for 20,000 years. Like they went extinct 10,000 years ago. And yeah, so I, I agree with you. It's it's hard. Also, like the giant sequoia, like the biggest voluminous tree, mm-hmm. yeah. when they are trying to say, here's how big it is. They have to say, okay, imagine 16 blue whales. And you're like, okay, well, hey. well I don't even know. Okay, imagine <laughs> know. one blue whale. Did you put how blue many whale bathtubs could this displace? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, how many pounds of butter is that? <laughs> Give it to me in cheeseburgers. That's yeah. a classic meme on the meme page. We get hit with that basically every week where it'll be some news headline where they try to put something in scale, but it almost makes it more confusing where they'll be like, <laughs> yeah. this asteroid the size of three and a half giraffes is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, which, which half of the giraffe? Like, yeah. And you have to start wondering, well, is this like uh, the, the kind of draft that I measure? Is this a draft that you measure? Like, where are we yeah. at here? The size stuff is where, you know, Casey will really have to put things in like he'll he'll be like this this tree is so big around that it would not fit in your apartment and that that the kind of very visceral like the place we're in this mm-hmm. tree would need another two of these to fit yeah um, because usually my brain just goes to like gray space and I'm like I don't even mm-hmm. know you're so, like that number sounds big yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a big number but if you're splatted up against a wall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think the single most effective time I've ever done this, I was teaching, uh, I did like a little introduction about trees in a friend's classroom and she was teaching kindergartners and I couldn't figure out like what to do in the moment. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, everybody hold hands. And I got all these kids to just stand up in their classroom, hold their hands and spread themselves out as far as they could. And I was like, this is how big the world's biggest tree is. And they could all like see while holding their hands. By far the cutest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and I was like, that is the only way I'm going to do this from now on. But I haven't ever done that since like with a group of people, but I really want to get a bunch of arborists together and be like, all right, boys, <laughs> oh stand up, you know, like in these, this very like hyper-masculine kind of like focused group of, of people in the world. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see if I can make that happen one of these days. That's got to be the group photo for any class you teach is just Mm -hmm. uh, a photo of everyone being the circumference of a tree. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? And say, hey, everyone who came to this was the size of this tree and like make a comparison of one of the biggest trees. 
I'm like, well, I only had three people show up. So we had a sapling <laughs> group today. It wasn't very good. So you guys are obviously thriving on the pod. And then you talking about going into classrooms. What kind of other projects are you guys working on besides the show every week? Casey? Yeah, oh. you, you have the biggest one going on. Oh, here. well, so we don't, you always have to start with that. But let's see. So I, I'm still a working arborist in the city. We're here in Portland, Oregon, and I work as a side business doing all sorts of different arboriculture. Sometimes it's doing some pruning and removal work for some friends, but most of the time I'm doing courses about tree identification and biology, you name it, for the local um, chapter of our International Society of Arboriculture. But I also work with Hoyt Arboretum and volunteer as an urban forestry commissioner at the city of Portland. So I'm trying to keep my fingers on all the different things that are happening and, and give some education, but also try to do my civic duty. But the big thing that Alex is talking about is I'm writing a tree identification book for the Pacific Northwest region right now, which is certainly the most exciting thing for me and hopefully everyone else, because that means they're going to want it. So fingers crossed. Yeah, it should be a really interesting book about all the trees that grow in the cities, mostly or in your towns, in your backyard, in the region from essentially southern Oregon to Anchorage, Alaska, over to the Rockies, essentially. It wouldn't go east of the Rockies mm -hmm. and really be super applicable. But you know, then again, all the trees are kind of the same in cities across the entire northern hemisphere. Well, I should just say North America. Sure. So it becomes a, uh, it could probably do a pretty good job most anywhere until you get like further to the east where they just plant all their own native oak trees and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, thank so you. So are you doing your own pictures and everything for it or? Yeah, in fact, on Monday, Alex is going to help me do a tutorial. And uh, here's how you take a good picture because, <laughs> you know, anyone can take a picture and be like, yeah, that's a good picture. Mm -hmm. But then I'm trying to get like really close on these like macro yeah. images and say, here's what mm -hmm. this bug looks like. We want to feel the bark on the picture. <laughs> oh, my God. That's such a great example. I want you to I want your eyes to get wet. I'm taking pictures of such dewy foliage. <laughs> so I'm working on that. But yeah, so right now I'm writing, uh, I've, I've done all the work to figure out what species I need. I'm working with the publisher and written up kind of, hey, here's how you identify a tree because a lot of people just don't know where to start. They look at uh -huh. a tree and they say, well, okay, it's a tree, Um, I think. And they just kind of start guessing. And I'm saying, don't, don't guess. You can once you get it figured out. But here's the like the top three things you need to look for mm -hmm. right off the bat. And then that'll set you on a track to really sort it out. Dichotomous key. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to. tree. It'll be a dichotomous tree, but I'm trying to do it almost backwards where I don't want to say, here's all the trees in the world and let's mm -hmm. narrow them down. I'm trying to say, look at X, Y, and Z and then flip to X section, Z section, and Y section. And then oh, just kind that'll of be great. look through. Yeah, because it's meant for a general audience. So mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of people who are professionals who can do this, you know, with their eyes shut pretty much. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is for anyone who says, well, I, I think I know what a tree is, but that's about it. And I'm like, great, this book's for you. Oh, that'll be so awesome. Yeah, thank you. I'm pretty excited about it. Should be a lot of fun, although it's uh, very stressful. I just wrote up The Red Alder literally right before I sat down here. So I have like all these textbooks over here and I'm looking online and trying to figure out like, okay, am I saying the right things? How big is the leaf actually? I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when it comes time for you to write it down and have it be permanent, then it gets sweaty. Exactly. It gets <laughs> really be right. nerve wracking. <laughs> Gotta be right, or at least close enough to be right. Our podcast is famously, our slogan is, we're 70% accurate. So, you know, 100% of the time. Exactly. So this, I have to up our game just a little bit. Casey, whenever I imagine you working on your book, I, I imagine Gandalf 
at the Citadel with like the huge tomes open and he's like cross-referencing and, and oh finding the truth. Yeah, the, I, the, I'm glad to hear jar. that. That's exactly I imagine what's jars like. around him. I don't think there are any jars, but some sort of some sort of mm. laboratory as well or something. Yeah, I suppose got if red I have, strings going to all the cone jars. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Like connecting these dots. I'm like, God, it's all connected. <laughs> all the pines. It's noir. <laughs> that's a conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, conspiracy. That's that's just too good. See, this is we should have talked with you guys like yeah. years ago when we came up with our name. Yeah, when we came up with our name so that you could have helped us find a better one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Alex, what are you getting up to right now? I'm a musician and a songwriter, and so I'm always kind of I'm always working on my personal music project. I'm also playing bass for a Portland artist named Isabeau. I'm going to attempt her full name, Isabeau Vaya'u Walker. She'll be very nice about the way I said that. Great artist and a great band, and I'm super stoked about that. Working on her second record right now. And then I edit a couple other podcasts and do some music production stuff. Have you found that since you started working on the Completely Arbitrary podcast that it's influenced your music in any way? Yeah, I would say so. I've, I mean, I've sent like I've sent Casey a couple of lines where I reference trees, and I don't think I would have done that before making this podcast, or at least I wouldn't have felt as confident as I do now. That's interesting. <laughs> You're like, I know this line is a banger. Uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> and only the real, only the real fans are going to get this. <laughs> is it the contention between Oregon White Oak and Gary Oak? These laughs tastefully. <laughs> yeah is it kind of like a metaphorical reference or is it just like it has the bark of a gary oak and <laughs> i think i'm describing a scene that i was looking at up in north of white salmon washington and i say white oak talking garyana i choose to call him what i please i like that i like that line already it also rhymes with something else so sure. it's Even just that. yeah i know yeah it just keeps going you're gold <laughs> We were on the podcast Ologies, or we've talked with Allie Ward a few times, and mm-hmm. she uh, is a super fan of Alex Croson's work. And it's so delightful because he's he's on Spotify. You can find him wherever you're at. But sure. the um, I think one time is like a couple weeks ago or months ago now. She was listening to one of your one of your albums and sent us a message and was like, "You guys." you need to like check this out because I think there might be an issue with one of your files. And she was, she was so sweet. She's one of the best people. If you ever get the chance to meet her interviewer, just definitely do. Mm-hmm. But she was, she messaged Alex and was like, Hey, you're, 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 it's all like gerbily your sound. And so Alex went through and was like, not panicked. I don't want to speak. You weren't panicked, but you're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So went through to check it out. And then we talked to her, I think two weeks later as part of our show. And she was like, yeah, sorry guys. It turns out that I just didn't have my headphone jack all the way plugged oh. in. Uh, it was, it was the sweetest thing, but it was, it was not nice to realize there was no issue there. So one of the ways that, besides the joy of the trees, one of the things that I have gotten from y'all's podcast is validation and a way to explain to people why apples are the worst fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Uh, Tell me more. For me personally, they always make me hungry. It doesn't matter. People are like, an apple is such a great filling snack. And I'm like, now I want a cheeseburger. Exactly. Yeah, they're they can be tart and tangy. The crispy bite sound is nice, but they're not. They just don't do it for me. Yeah, and then it's... when I finally heard your ire, I was like, he gets it. No ah, one else gets it. Now I feel validated. This feels so good. I have people in my life, my partner, that 
is trying to catch me eating apples all the time being like hey hey you still eat apples and i'm like no you're right i do you're you're right however they are still pointless and also my favorite candy is smarties they are they just are are nothing but they're so tasty and delicious so i feel the same like i i have to i have to like try to argue my way out of it which is which is fine i'm willing to take the brunt of it but i'm so glad to hear this danielle because I agree. Like they, it's it's also as I said, it's not just the eating of the apple that is pointless. The fruit trees themselves are like these Frankenstein monsters that mm -hmm. break themselves apart because their apples are too big. So this makes me feel equally as validated. Thank you. For those that have not been fortunate enough to hear this supreme validation, lay it on them. <laughs> All right, I will. And so initially, what in 2018, I was on Ologies and. We, I don't know if it was someone asked about it or if I just took the opportunity to go off the the rails, but she actually cut out my entire Apple rant and said, Casey went on an Apple rant for about five minutes there. <laughs> I had to just cut that and come back. But no, Alex gave me the opportunity uh, on our own show. So we ended up basically uh, doing an entire show about at Malice Domestica, which is the common apple and it's domesticated and now it's its own species which is kind of a you know a funny thing that we did to begin with but it's an apple that we have been growing it's from the mountains of kazakhstan and initially it got brought into the entire like cultivated world because it was this big like you said the big shiny delicious thing so we would eat it and it would be fine but we ended up growing 10,000 varieties because famously they come not true from seeds. So if you have a red apple and you plant seeds from that red apple that is, you know, the size of a baseball, the new apple trees that come from those seeds could be any number of different things. They could be tiny little crab apples. They could be giant purple apples. They could be some medium-sized brown apple. It, it's completely random. By so, the way, speaking of fun tree facts, that is in my top 15, probably. That, oh, uh, the apples. The apple seed can be any species, no matter yeah. what species it came from. That's that's a fun one. Well, not, not species, just varieties. Like, they don't, they don't hold yes, true. Yes, yeah. Yes. Like, a right. Douglas fir cone will always look like a Douglas fir cone. It'll be the same size, the same shape, whereas apples will be wildly different sizes and shapes. So we ended up getting these this crazy number of varieties of apples from these sweet, delicious, tart ones to ones that are like weirdly mealy and have all these different things. But we started growing them after the prohibition in the 20s and 30s because Basically, they were cutting down apples because we only grew apples to make cider, which at the time, there was no non-alcoholic cider. Cider was, by definition, alcoholic. So they made al alcoholic stuff. That got nixed. So they said, well, we have all these apples. What are we going to do? And so we started selling them. And then the doctors were saying, well, an apple day keeps the, the doctor away. And <laughs> there's like, okay, so we just, everyone became like this cultural phenomenon. We should eat apples. And then I was like, well, apples, they don't taste good. They they taste fine. They don't really fill you up. In fact, a peach, I think, fills me up more than an apple does. And I just was like, why is it? Why is everyone just like loving these? I don't like red delicious or the green gala. <laughs> yeah, Granny Smith apples. Like they're just, they're, they don't taste good to me. And I'm like, why are we doing this? They are tasteless. They don't fill me up. And then botanically, everyone's like, I'm going to plant an apple tree because I'm going to have an orchard in my front yard. And then they never grow big. They fall apart in the mm -hmm. in snowstorms. No one eats the apples, so they just rot on the ground. And it's like, well, why didn't you plant literally any other tree? Everyone has this great idea about apples. And then in the functional world, they're just the worst. So that was my big rant about apples. 
And then we ended up looking up the quince, Alex. You remember our quince episode? Oh, sure. Where we essentially did research and found that the apples in like the common knowledge, like in the Bible, you know, Eve took a bite of an apple. It turns out that in all of these different situations, apples were not even cultivated at the time in Europe, but the quince was, which we called at the time, the golden apple. Like that's what the the kind of Latin translation is. And then over the course of just a twisted, twisted history, as Alex would put it, stolen valor, everything that we used to refer to the quince as is now the apple. So now the apple seems to be this historically amazing thing when in fact it was a completely different species to begin with. Wow. It's just an exercise in marketing, basically. Another round of validation. When have you ever bitten into an apple and said, yep, I would throw it all away for this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've bitten into an apple and said, I would throw all of this away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah, Eve was not eating an apple. The secret knowledge was that apples are gross. So Uh, explain to kind of what the poem fruit is and how it's formed and why. I don't think it should get much credit for being called a fruit, but. Explain our wow. starchy twig wow. to the listeners. We just, we just had you on here exclusively for your apple take. That I've was been what, what did it. Uh, that's so good. I, I'm gonna after Casey is done with this cropaganda, <laughs> I'm gonna come in in defense of apples. You're gonna clapple back. I'm gonna clap. I'm gonna clapple <laughs> back. I've got a few <laughs> words to say. All right, that's very fair. Well, so the fruit apple is a poem, P-O-M-E, and the definition, the technical like botanical definition is that it's actually a, the ovary, the stem tissue, rather the ovary is the uh, the core of the apple, which is the fruit in a technical sense in like botanical parlance. The ovary is the part of the flower that has the seeds in it. It will mature and become the fruit. It is an ovary that's kind of tucked down below the sepals and the petals and the petals will fall away all of the uh, stamen and pistils will fall away the sepals will remain and then that lower ovary section connecting to the receptacle which is the bit that connects a flower to a stem that becomes big and fleshy and that big and fleshy receptacle is that weird texture where apples and pears aren't quite the same texture as a peach or something else and that is because it is actually stem tissue modified to be big and fleshy and delicious or tasteless whatever it is depending on the variety So then you bite into it, it has this strange texture, and you bite all the way down into this papery bit with those seeds inside. That is the ovary of the flower. So that's technically the fruit and everything else around it is just kind of like the the extra stuff that's modified just slightly differently than other things in the same rose family. So that is a pomme. And in case you're interested, in French, pomme de la terre is a potato, which just means apple of the ground. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Now, Alex, because fair is fair, Thank you. do you have any words? There's a false equivalency going on here. Since Casey, the dawn of time. Casey <laughs> says, and you always do this. You say, I can never eat a Granny Smith and think it was good. No one is going around taking bites of a Granny Smith apple. First of all, those are pie <laughs> apples, and they do just fine in that context. The beauty of apples, Casey, is that there are as many apples as there are colors in the rain, uh, not in the rainbow, as there are colors in the color wheel in Photoshop. In mantis shrimp eyes. <laughs> okay, when I was a wee little lass and I had my child taste buds, I was 
enamored with Granny Smiths, and I was like, they made a sweet tart huge because they were so tangy, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. now I eat them, and I'm like, <laughs> mm. yeah, All right, I, Alex, like sour sure. water with a crunch. That is fair, but I would say, you know, I think any grown adult would be silly to take a bite out of a Granny Smith apple and then declare that they hate all apples. <laughs> oh, wow. You know what your defense reminds me of a little bit was a realization that we had, that Danielle and I had about a year and a half ago. We went about the pomme de terre, actually, about the potato. We went down to visit with some of our nonprofit partners down in Peru and check out what they had going on, visit the projects, get to go on a little tour of what we had been fundraising for. And it turns out Peru and the Incan Empire originally and before that was the birthplace of the domesticated potato. And usually where something got domesticated is where it has the most diversity. So Mm -hmm. I've always thought of potatoes in their, you know, basic form, like a baked potato to me has always been like an apple tier root. Like it's been kind of like a thing I'll eat, but it's a measure of how hungry I am if I'm going to eat it or not. But we went down there and they had every single meal had a different kind of potato in it. And some of the times I wouldn't even realize it was a potato because it would taste so different from what I was used to. Sometimes they would give us something. It was literally all they did was boil this thing. And it was like yellow and it was perfectly textured and even Ooh. all the way through. It was like the butter. It tasted like straight like the best, most, it's like what I wanted a baked potato to be like. It was like someone had like hybridized it with a cow. It was so buttery. They did nothing but boil it. So the the problem with potatoes anyway, I, we learned was not the, the species itself, but just that we've only had this one variety that's managed to spread to the rest of the world. And there's all of this diversity and all these different flavors and ways of cooking them and varieties that we just haven't had access to. They have like 5,000 different varieties down there and we're wow. We're stuck up here chumps. Oh we were on the plane down there and the They're flight so attendant was like I want you to try these chips because we have so many potatoes and it was a bag of all they were purple and red and all different varieties that were so yeah. colorful and that was our first taste of potato mania. The first thing that someone said to us, we weren't even in Peru yet, but the first thing that a a Peruvian said to us on that trip was, we have 5,000 potatoes. You should try this one. (laughs) That is amazing. Wow. And then we had to come back to the States and now we're ruined. You know, I will say that 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 checks out because we did a follow-up podcast on the Apple where we actually got a a pretty upset listener that said kind of the same thing She's from Kazakhstan. And she was like, you guys completely did not listen to everything I told you. She was mad at me specifically because yeah. we talked on Instagram. Thank oh, God man. I dodged that bullet. Oh, I love internet feedback. She actually stopped listening to the podcast. She was very <laughs> upset and ended up, we did our second episode because we, we do one species. So once we talk about it, we can't go back and talk about it again. It is, mm-hmm. it's the way it is. We did this for Four different trees one time and really only three different trees because one of them, we talked instead about the apple, we went back and revisited it and talked mm-hmm. about its native counterpart, which like I said, we are talking about in our first one, Malus domestica. So that's the domestic apple. Malus severzii is this native species in the mountains of Kazakhstan. That is where it all initially developed. That's the very first, that's the wild potato. And so we ended up talking about that and saying, well, this is actually like this amazing place of diversity with exactly the same kind of thing as what you're talking about, Danielle, with all these different kinds and species and colors and flavors and textures. 
And so we didn't talk about that. Then on ologies again, they talked about palmology, had me on for a second to see if I was in any way recovered from my <laughs> anger. I said yes, because we actually learned a lot more about it. That listener, still listen to ologies, heard me, went back and listened to our second episode, and Incredible. then reached out and said, I'm sorry, I was so mad at you guys. <laughs> Yeah, and then it, she it, sent us. She sent us like homemade fruit leather. She did, as yeah, a, huh. as an olive branch. Ironically. Oh wow, yeah, as a, an apple branch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As a, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it all came around full circle, and we're okay. And she she realized, uh, I see what you guys did there. We talked about the apple I hate, and then re- revisited the apple in its kind of native origin story, and then said, "Here's an apple that we can get behind, but still, mm, maybe." I think that might be the first time that I've seen someone in a podcast go on a hero's journey. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. We did go on a hero's journey. I feel good now. This is great. I feel <laughs> we should do this all the time, you guys. Did you return feeling changed? Yeah, I feel wiser, actually. Okay. I do. I feel wiser. Hero's I feel journey like, confirmed. Yeah. I feel like I can I can navigate the world with a little bit more understanding, a little more mm. grace and I can learn to just hold my opinions back. So we saw on just a quick scroll through of the gram, saw that y'all ate some pawpaws recently. Yes. So what are your favorite tree snackies? Oh, <laughs> don't even get Alex started. A mango to me is the most perfect oh. food to ever grow out of God's green mm. earth. Mm-hmm. I think it is not only my favorite fruit, not only my favorite thing to come from a tree, but probably my favorite edible thing honestly love a mango that's number one and 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 it's not even close the rest of my top 10 are like (laughs) miles away mango crazy for some mango mango. crazy that's right (laughs) that's a goodie that's a strong contender top tier fruit thank Mm -hmm. you thank you yes this is a very good question i'm trying to i'm trying to think what my top one would be i do really like peaches i like a fantastic peach but I can't say that I would like really go out of my way to go find a peach mm-hmm. the way that Alex, I think, he gave that tree a 10 out of 10 golden cones of honor. True. Actually, mm-hmm. I think at the time it was golden poems of honor because mm-hmm. we were doing a certain thing. But, you know, I really like pecans. Pecans, I think, mm-hmm. are, are ridiculously mm-hmm. delicious. I could just keep eating those by the handful mm-hmm. as a good tree snack. But I'm trying to, you know... I like huckleberries, but they're not trees. I can't say so that. That can't be a good answer. That can't be oh, a good yeah. answer. That's your Northwesterner uh, yeah. cred, though. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. You guys got it spot on. Yeah. yeah, I have to say that. I really like nuts. I like a good flavorful nut that comes from a tree. And hazelnuts are quite good. Case, what about hazelnuts? Yeah, honestly, the thing I don't like about hazelnuts is that they're a little too zingy sometimes, where hmm. they're, they have a, not like zing where they make your tongue buzz or something like Szechuan chili peppers or uh, peppercorns. But it's kind of like a, like, I don't know, they have a little too too much of a zing to them where I like something else that's just sweeter and more buttery, like a pecan. Mm-hmm. I find, yeah, hazelnuts can be a little, like, I, I use the word acrid, mm-hmm. like a little, yeah. like, like yeah. a dry wine or something. Mm-hmm. For the mango, we're, we're down in Florida. And oh. so obviously we've got all kinds of things growing here. But when we were down in Peru, we drove past this house that had a mango tree growing in the front and back to trying to describe the scale of things i got nothing for this one it was absolutely massive it was like oh, bigger so than much a house bigger than I thought up on be. top of this tree yeah. gazillions of these fat mangoes hanging down yeah. all over the place oh my gosh 
I snapped my neck doing the double take. I was like, did you see that mango tree? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I had no idea. That sounds and incredible. We, we even covered it. I could, maybe I just was, uh, was thinking like kind of more of the, the cultivated ones you'd get the mangoes from. Mm -hmm. They probably stay a little shorter. I was startled by the height of this tree. As a mango tree, I've, I've seen taller trees of other kinds before, yeah. but they weren't completely covered in delicious fruit. So it was a little bit of a different experience. But it was like yeah. a, in the cartoon when they shoot dollar signs out of their eyes. <laughs> yeah, their eyes <laughs> jump out of their head. Yeah. yeah. Some other very tall, very cool trees that also produce a food that is questionable on the tasty factor, mm. but we'll find out why it's important. Have I'm not up to date. Have you guys done an episode on the Brazil nut tree? No, no, we have not. Okay, this was the email that I was supposed to send you a fun facts, but life is busy, and so here we are instead for the first time. Hey, you're, so, you're forgiven. Thank you. Yeah, so tell us, one tell us of the the big projects that our partners down the Alliance for Sustainable Amazon that they approached us with when we first started our relationship with them is they have these big Brazil nut collecting concessions down there that are protected by the government. So. Mm -hmm. As we've learned, the Brazil nuts are in these big cocos. You say like softball size? Right? Yeah, something like that. Like actually, if you picture, it doesn't look exactly like this, but if you picture a coconut, it'll get you the idea of what a Brazil nut cocoa looks like. Yeah, yeah. So on the super outside, hard brown husk and without people being part of the equation, agoutis are supposed to chew through the husk and be the dispersers for it. Gotcha. But it's fairly, it's... It's livable, lucrative for the people that work on these concessions. So the government protects huge areas of rainforest for them to be able to go out and harvest the cocos when they fall to the ground. So and can I can I jump in for a second? Yeah. The, the other thing that's special about Brazil nut trees that caught our friends down there's interest in ours is that it's very hard to cultivate them in mass as like a monocrop. So the industry is actually completely based around intact forests. So whenever you get that one Brazil nut in your trail mix, it came from actual functional Amazon rainforest. Because uh, wow. if, if you plant them too close together or too many of them, well, for one, their pollinators require seemingly unrelated parts of the forest for their for the rest of their life cycle. But in addition to that, they because they evolved in such a hyper diverse environment, they will if you put to put them too close together, they'll get a lot of disease problems between them. So yes, it's yeah. it's a tree that the economics of it, the better the economics of it are, the better it is for the rainforest with this crop. It's kind of like the opposite of a soybean. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. it's, it's making more of them or having more of them is not directly deleterious to the land that you're getting them from because you need that functioning intact rainforest to be able to successfully get them. So the problem, though, is that they are very long-lived trees, hundreds of years. 500 years old, something like that. Long for us on our time scales. Yeah, long for human life. Demographically, though, the trees that are currently producing are starting to get towards the later end of that mm -hmm. timeline. So the issue, though, is that because they're being collected every year, you don't have little babies popping up to replace mm -hmm. that population. So they, ASA, our partners were looking into the future and they said, okay, eventually these older trees are not going to be producing anymore. Then what are we going to have coming up behind? Mm -hmm. So they decided to figure out how to cultivate and start these little Brazil nut trees in a controlled setting. And they've developed this program where they work with local families that are on these Brazil nut concessions and they have little handouts and lessons. They do 
a several class series now with these families mm-hmm. and they tell them how to pick a good seed tree. They have little presses and devices for they use machetes to, to hack open the cocos. Then they have these little seed presses that you they use to compress and break off the little hull. And then they have a little germination bed where they have the settings just right to have their little baby Brazil nut crack out and make their way into the world and have different (laughs) stages of vivero. So a little outdoor greenhouse, shade Mm -hmm. house type thing where they have all the different stages of the seedlings. And then when they're ready to be transplanted, they go out on site with the families that are working on the concessions and help them pick out the correct sites where those trees are going to have good growing success. Talk to them about how to monitor them going forward. And they also help come up with kind of a fill-in plan for them as well. So these trees, was it 20 years, Rhett, that it takes for them to... Just about 20 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50, they really get going, but they showed us some that were 20 years old and they had a good number of of cocos on them. Like it was definitely, I wouldn't want to stand underneath it on a windy day kind of number. So yeah, yeah, we had to wear, we were required to wear hard hats anytime we went into the forest. That's my kind of tree. That's Alex. (laughs) He loves a tree that fights back a little bit. Yes. (laughs) So they have worked with them to come up with kind of rotational crops. So you're going to have bananas or they have a series X number of time you'll have Y crop. And then when that one phases out, you'll have this other one. And that way they're able to have a continuous source of income for their family while they're waiting for these little replacements to get to the point that they're being productive. So the trees themselves are so tall that they, again, this is the rainforest. The trees are so high that they're in their own little micro habitat and they have succulent epiphytes that are growing that high. So little cacti that are growing because they're just in a completely different moisture level than the rest of their surrounding. Oh my God. On the bottom of them, there are poison dart frogs and, you know, everything, you know, leaf cutter ants, everything else, you know, from the rainforest and the moist leaf litter and everything. And at the top, it's so, yeah, it's just that dry and that hot at the top of them. It's like a whole other climate that they grow up tall enough to be in. That is incredible. Alex, move this up on our list of trees to talk Seriously. about. Seriously. I'm looking at a photo and I... So, uh, yeah, uh, they are beautiful. Yeah. They're kind of... There's a little sunset silhouette moment coming in the chat. They look wow. like, for people listening, the two... One's flattering and one's unflattering. The two ways I describe <laughs> them. One is that they look kind of like the tree of life at Disney World. That's the flattering one. The unflattering one is it's kind of like if you took a giant tree and put Albert Einstein's hair on top of it. That's... <laughs> Like, they're those two things at once. Hey. Well, there's Alberts over there being like, what do you mean unflattering? <laughs> they're just flattering. like quintessential tree. Like when a kid yeah. first picks up a green crayon and draws a tree, this is what Stick it looks like. circle on top. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a spectacular thing. I know I've heard lots about Brazil nut trees. Uh, I got several books that talk about them. In fact, Brazil is named after the Brazil nut tree. Is that true? the other way around. Yeah, really? So exactly I didn't know that. that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, Another thing that's extra snazzy about the Brazil nuts that come from the region that our partners are in is you only need six of them a day to meet your selenium intake. Six of the worst nut and trail nuts. <laughs> <laughs> There's two things that I really love about this project, just because we actually have our next fundraiser coming up. So I'm going to go ahead and pitch this to our listeners. One is that the 
concessionaires themselves came up with it. So this was at the request of and partially led by people from the region rather than us or our partners, the Alliance for Sustainable Amazon. None of us went down there and said, this is what you need. The Alliance for Sustainable Amazon, Jeff and Joe, who run it, went down there and they started working and they got in with the community down there and made friends with the people there. And then some of the, the Brazil net concessionaires that they knew came to them and said, y'all have expertise and, and connections and a lot of things. Could you help us expand our crop on these Brazil nut trees that we're working on. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's like the very practical thing that I like about it. There's a conceptual thing that I like about it too. It kind of goes deep, which is, and this one's a little more speculative, but you know, why are there so many of these trees in these little areas that, you know, they're not like a row crop, but it's a high concentration of them, maybe higher than they would generate naturally. Yeah. It, and uh, this isn't the only explanation for why that might have happened. There, there are alternative yeah. things. This is just my favorite one, but it might be, and this is definitely true for a lot of other crops in the Amazon or, or trees that are suspiciously useful in the Amazon or they're planted in soil that's suspiciously better than all the other soils around it. One of the possibilities is that the reason they even grow in the density and the frequency that they do is that indigenous people were planting them there. They were managing the forest almost like a giant orchard in itself and in a way that apparently did not destroy all the biodiversity of the forest while sustaining this enormous population of people. It's possible that what's happening right now with people picking up and starting to selectively plant these trees into forest gaps and into areas where they'll do well, but they might not have spread very quickly, is that the people who live there now are kind of reestablishing this relationship with this tree that goes back way, way deeper in time than we realize. We've actually talked about this a little bit, Alex and I, but we haven't done any intense conversations on it where they're finding like evidence with LSAT satellites or LIDAR rather, where they are mm -hmm. finding these patterns where they say, oh, look, there used to be something there. Now it's covered in trees and, and new soil has developed, but you can see where the ground has been cut out in very specific ways. And they say, oh, that's a huge settlement that used to be there that's just disappeared. And they've found the same thing where they've gone and looked at those sites and found individual trees and said, wow, okay, we're starting to find all these like trees that are that we've correlated with these ancient settlements in mm -hmm. these areas. And now we are finding that, yeah, maybe these people actually like we're way more involved in managing what we've always thought of this wild, untouched forest. And we're having that same kind of thing here in the United States where everyone's like, no, 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 no. Stop thinking about these wilderness areas as mm -hmm. untouched, untrammeled by humans. It's like, no, 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 just not white people. We haven't gone in there, but there's been <laughs> other people who've lived here that you always keep forgetting about who mm -hmm. have been managing the land at vast scales just at a different way that we can't quite conceptualize because right. we don't have the same, we own our land, we manage it. They said, well, we don't own this right. land. We just manage it by all these different ways. So I love right. that that this has such an intense story with the Brazil nut specifically. I learned a lot about this from the book 1492 or 1491 rather. Uh, 1492 is the year went wrong, the year before 1492, <laughs> which is about the Americas pre-Columbus. And mm -hmm. something that the author talks about in that book that just completely blew my mind and that that leads me to rant about Brazil nut trees and indigenous agriculture to everyone that I can get to listen to me is he was talking about similar other plants in the Amazon. He actually mentions Brazil nuts, but he was focusing on some other ones. And then he, he shifts to talking about this concept. The word is lacuna, which the original meaning of that is an ancient book that we get references to, but mm -hmm. did, didn't survive to today. So there's mm -hmm. like 
of these books that like the ancient Greeks had or, or you know, some older civilization. Mm-hmm. And we know they existed because some dude in another story said you should go read this other one. Like it's, it's on the citations for someone else's story, yeah. but it's gone. And we, we, the only thing we know about it is that this other guy cited it. And he talks about how there are technologies that are just missing sometimes. For example, Europe used this inefficient kind of plow for like 600 years after China invented a slightly better one, you know, a slightly differently made, but like a hundred times better. It's Europe had all of the technology necessary to make this better kind of plow and they just didn't do it for like hundreds and hundreds of years because either no one thought of it or someone did, but the idea didn't spread or whatever. He presents kind of in the most mind-blowing way, especially Amazonian indigenous agriculture as uh, almost like a lacuna for us now. That, yeah. that there was this other way of, of doing agriculture and of, of kind of running the world that people had and that we think we're very advanced now, but there's still these technologies that we, they're not like beyond our capability, but that we're missing. That's beautiful. It it is just absolutely correct. Like everything is pointing to that being the case. And I don't know how long it's going to take us for us to like completely open our eyes and see it. Yeah. One day. Bring back the symbiotic link. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I feel like that's a good note to leave off on. Alex and Casey, do you have anything else that you'd like to plug or, or talk about before we go? Go listen to our podcast, Completely Arbitrary, A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and maybe someday we'll get we'll get our shit together enough to make a TikTok or whatever. If you don't want to follow that, you can follow me on TikTok. <laughs> I just oh. got one. Oh no. Because I'm I'm trying to I, I'm writing this tree identification book. Sure. And so I'm trying to get myself out there a little bit more to make sure that everyone who could ever possibly want to read this book will know it exists. And so I'm actually uh, on any social media going through all of my 150 some cones in my cone collection and talking about each one probably about once a week or so so if you uh, are interested in anything like that i always reference the podcast and all these things so if you want to hear our opinions on trees listen to the podcast if you want to hear my opinion on cones you can follow me at i'm at clap for trees and we're at arbitrary pod on all those social media things I have music uh, online if you want to go listen to my my personal project under my name, Alex Croson. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can support the show and get cool stuff in the mail. You'll also get mentioned in a little shout out at the end of the episode if you follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wildgreenmemes. That's memes with an M. Until next time, I'm Rhett. I'm Danielle. I'm Alex. And I'm Casey. And have a tremendous year of the raccoon.